It is good to see you all. If you're new, I'm Jamie, one of the pastors here. And it is my honor and privilege this morning to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12, we're approaching the halfway point in this multi-year walkthrough, the Gospel of Luke. We made it to chapter 12. This morning, we'll be considering verses 1 to 12, so what we'll do is I'll read this section, ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we will unpack it a little bit at a time. should be around 45 minutes or so. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you again. Thankful for the gift of your Holy Spirit and for your Son. And we ask you that you would help us to understand your word, to see Jesus in it, and by seeing him to have the affections of our heart warmed and moved to delight in him. Lord, be with us as we consider these matters and teach us that we may know you, and by knowing you, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. In Jesus' name we ask, 
Amen. A symbol that is often associated with drama and live theater is that of two masks. Have you seen this? One mask is laughing and the other mask is crying. One mask meant to represent comedy and the other mask meant to represent tragedy. And the reason for this association with theater, it goes all the way back to Greek theater, where actors would wear one of these masks to convey the mood of a scene. So it was a visual cue to let the audience know that they should expect a comedy or they should expect a tragedy. And in Greek theater, actors who wore these masks were called hypocrites, a title from which we derive the English word hypocrites. Literally, hypocrite is someone who wears a mask, who pretends to be something they're not, who gives the public impression that is at odds with reality. Hypocrisy is a conscious decision to hide one's true self, their true motives. And in a moment, we'll see that hypocrisy is actually motivated by fear. In the passage before us, Jesus warns the disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which he calls hypocrisy. Now, you'll remember, the Pharisees were a group of highly devoted, morally conservative, religious elites who lived in Jesus' day. We considered them at some length at the end of chapter 11. And Jesus calls them hypocrites, play actors. They were fooling everyone into thinking that they were something that they weren't. And who they presented themselves to be on the outside was not who they were on the inside. These were men of the mask. And Jesus warns his disciples not to let even the smallest amount of this folly into their lives. And then Jesus proceeds to reveal the signs of hypocrisy and then to give its cure. In the passage that we have before us, we have profound insight from the Lord of glory about hypocrisy, what it is and how it dies. Jesus teaches us that hypocrisy is driven by the fear of man and that it is cured by the fear of God. And that provides us our takeaway from this passage this morning. It is a simple one, which is this. The one who knows you best loves you most. Fear him and no other. The one who knows you best loves you most. So fear God and no other. The passage falls into three parts, easily divided up as the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible has already done for you. Verses 1 to 3 teach us to live by the truth and not by lies. The second section, verses 4 to 7, teach us to fear God and not man. And then finally, the third section, verses 8 to 12, tell us to confess Christ and not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. 
All of this, of course, driving to the main point, which is that he who knows us best loves us most. Fear him and no other. Let's begin by considering the setting, because the setting of this passage helps us to understand the point of this passage. Let's look at verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together because that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So if you've been with us for the last couple of um, Sundays in Luke, we considered the end of Luke 11, we were at the dinner table with a Pharisee, and Jesus was addressing some of the errors of the Pharisees. Well, now we've entered the open air. And Luke tells us that there are so many people gathering to hear Jesus that they're literally stepping on each other. And this is a problem that any, just about any pastor I know would love to have. You know, so many thousands of people coming to your thing that you're out of room, standing room only. Big crowds feel like divine endorsement. But Jesus knows something that many pastors, myself included, forget about crowds. They're fickle and they're dangerous. You see, a crowd is neither good nor bad. It's just a crowd. A hundred thousand plus people will gather at Ohio Stadium in Columbus this fall to watch teenagers throw an oblong ball at each other. That's a huge crowd. So a crowd alone is no sign of divine endorsement, regardless of what Buckeye fans tell you. Besides, a crowd can be dangerous, not just because of their potential to riot, but because of the effect of the crowd on those who drew the crowd. So Jesus, seeing the crowd, turns to his disciples and he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now what does the leaven of the Pharisees have to do with the crowds? Right? As good Bible students, we should be asking questions like this. Read Luke 12.1 and we think, why would Luke tell me this to explain Jesus saying this? How are these connected? Why would Jesus use his own rising popularity to teach his disciples about the dangers of hypocrisy? Well, when you find questions like this in the Bible, you should be good Bible students and you should just keep reading. Usually the questions are answered when you keep reading. Let's Pick up reading, verse 2 and 3. He says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you whispered in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, remember what I said about hypocrisy. What is it? It is mask wearing. It is pretending to be something that you're not. So Jesus tells the disciples, nothing is covered up, nothing is masked that will not be revealed. Or hidden that will not be known. 
And so Jesus is here warning his disciples that mask wearing is pointless, that hypocrisy will always be exposed eventually. You see, you can't hide who you are from God. You can fool a crowd. You can fool me, but God sees through the mask. God hears what is said in the dark. God hears what is whispered in private rooms. God sees the heart. And the leaven of the Pharisees was to portray themselves as holy, as pure, as devoted to God, in order to procure from people some level of prestige. They did what they did to be seen by others. And they had no problem living a lie so long as it would secure for them some prominence among the people. It was hypocrisy. And Jesus tells the disciples, be aware of this leaven. Leaven is a yeast that when it is added to dough, causes the dough to rise. And sometimes in scripture, leaven is used as a metaphor for sin. And it seems that Jesus is making two points by using this metaphor of leaven. The first is that leaven is tiny and small, but it multiplies rapidly. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, to borrow a phrase from the Apostle Paul. A little hypocrisy eventually becomes a lot of hypocrisy. A little lie rarely stays little. It begins to take on a life of its own. It needs to be protected by more lies. And so it grows. Also, hypocrisy is about exalting the self. A little leaven causes the dough to rise. And hypocrisy is about managing a reputation in order to appear better than we truly are. We've already talked about a couple of times about this little Pharisee who lives inside of all of us. Part of that little Pharisee's job is to run PR in your life. He's sort of like your own little publicist, managing your image, picking the right mask and polishing it, putting concealer over your blemishes, communicating your strengths while disguising your weaknesses. Brothers and sisters, beware of this leaven. Who you are is known to God. And you ought to heed the promises of God in Luke 12, 2 and 3. What you cover up will be revealed. What is hidden will be known. Every lie will be exposed. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. What you have whispered in private will be shouted in public. After all, what did God promise in Numbers 32, 23? Be sure that your sin will find you out. Some of us are so afraid of appearing weak 
Afraid of being perceived as someone who doesn't have it all together. Someone whose theology hasn't been quite worked out. Beware of this fear. And may the Spirit of God disabuse you of that burden. Because, Christian, you don't need to prove yourself. The only proof that you need is that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. The only proof you need is that you have been loved by a God who gave his own son to bring you to himself. And as one of your pastors, I'm jealous for you to have the peace that comes from knowing that you don't need to have it all together. Jesus did that for you. And so you can tell that scared little Pharisee inside of you that it's okay. That other people are not a threat to you. And that when God honors other people, not necessarily because they're better than you, you don't have to tear them down. No, you can rejoice with those who rejoice and you can give honor to those who are being honored. When others are given the spotlight, You'll be free from having to find fault. Instead of cutting others down and criticizing, you can encourage others and cheer them on. And you can give praise to God for the good that he is doing in them and through them and despite them. Oh, PBC, I hope you see that this is a happy life. It's a big life. It's a life of love and joy. The humorist Will Rogers is credited with saying, live your life so that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. Now, some of you may not get that. Let me update the reference. Live your life so that you wouldn't be ashamed to have a hidden camera on you broadcasted on YouTube. So I have to ask, what secret sins are you hiding? What slander, what gossip has been whispered in the private rooms of your life? Christian, would you be afraid if a brother or sister heard the thing that you said about them? Would you be ashamed if one of your pastors heard what you said about them? If the answer is yes, it may be that there is some leaven of the Pharisees in your life. And this word private rooms is used by Jesus in another place. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, in the place where Jesus said, When you pray, go into your private rooms. Oh, friend, whisper. Whisper your concerns and complaints to your heavenly Father in secret, in that private room. Because he hears you. And if I may, put in another plug for a different private room. Tuesday evenings at 6.30, in that private room right over there, we hold a prayer meeting for the church. Don't, don't be one of those loud voices to criticize the church who is absent when people gather to pray for the church. Join us Tuesday night, 6.30. We'd love to pray with you. The leaven of the Pharisees is secret sin. 
and the gospel culture that we're seeking to create here at PBC is one that is built on a confession of sin, on repentance of sin, and on receiving forgiveness for sin. It's built on the idea that the one who knows us best is the same one who loves us most. The one who hears our thoughts and hears our whispering and grumbling is the same one who loves us most. So there's the problem. Hypocrisy. And the solution appears in the verses that follow. And this is glorious. Let's keep reading. Verse 4 to 7. Jesus says to the disciples, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So here the Lord exposes both the cause of hypocrisy and the cure for hypocrisy. The cause of hypocrisy is the fear of man. And the cure of hypocrisy is the fear of God. So Jesus tells the disciples, don't be afraid of man. I mean, after all, what's the worst they can do? Murder you? Take all your stuff? Well, that's it. That's all they can do. After that, they can't do anything. This is one of those things that you only say if your God come from God. Right? Don't be afraid of people because all they can do is murder you. It's proof that Jesus was not from this world and did not have this world's perspective. It reminds me of something the Apostle Paul once wrote in a letter from prison. To live is Christ, Paul said. To die is gain. So Paul is saying to the Philippians, he says, if I survive, I'm just going to keep telling people about Jesus. And if I get killed, I'll just go be with Jesus. Either way, I get Jesus. The fear of man has a real hard time gaining a foothold in a man's life when Jesus is so big. Because what does man have to offer me that I don't already have in Jesus? Hypocrisy is the result of man being bigger than God in the heart of man. Hypocrisy happens when we are more troubled by our sin being exposed to our peers than to our God. Hypocrisy happens when we are afraid of being seen as small and unseen and heard by our peers. Friends, if we are unbothered by the Lord knowing our lies so long as others don't, we're hypocrites. And I tell you, PBC, don't be afraid of those who could kill your body or your reputation or your social status. But after that, have nothing more they can do. However, there is one that we all must fear. 
Jesus says, fear God. To fear God means to give him respect, to revere him, to stand in awe of him, to have your heart so gripped by the raw might and beauty and glory of God that you can't help but give him the rightful place in your life through your worship and through your obedience. So I must say to our non-Christian guests here today, your fears are misplaced. You must fear God. Your danger is that you have made that which is most significant insignificant. That you have devalued that which is of greatest value, and in this you have sinned, and it is the gravest of errors, and the consequence of this is judgment. So friend, turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ today and pray to God for mercy. Through the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection on the third day, you can be forgiven of this sin and be granted favor with God. And when you do, you will be received into the family of God. God will grant you joy and peace and delight, the kind that you were made to enjoy. Before leaving this building here today, Tell someone that you would like to follow Jesus. We'll begin meeting with you and telling you more about Jesus Christ and this new life. Jesus says, don't be afraid of any man because all they can do is kill you. But you ought to fear God because after he has killed you, he can cast you into hell. And that word for hell is the word Gehenna place in Jesus' day where there was once child sacrifice during one reprehensible part of Israel's history. It's referred to as the place of the dead. It is a valley of filth where carcasses of dead animals burned and the trash fires burned perpetually. It was a foul, forbidding place. And it became a fitting symbol for the future home of the unrepentant wicked. And the Lord says, fear God, because after he is killed, he has the authority to cast into hell. The Lord Jesus is just fine using language like this, that God kills and God casts. Now, some Christians are somewhat uncomfortable with saying that God kills and God casts into hell. But this is just the language of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 32, God says, I kill and I make alive. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6, the Lord kills and brings to life. And here the Lord Jesus says, the Lord kills. He's just fine using language like this because the Lord does. And Jesus is just fine with saying that God casts into hell because God does. Fear him. The devil, the devil doesn't cast anyone to hell. God does. The devil isn't even the ruler of hell. God is. So he says the fear of God is the cure of hypocrisy that God sees behind the mask. There's no fooling him. You can fool your pastors. You can fool your friends. Lord knows you can even fool yourself. But God is no fool. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
So don't fear your failures or your weaknesses being exposed. Your God sees you better than anyone and he loves you in spite of it. His power, after all, is made perfect in weakness. In the Pilgrim's Progress, the main character, a man called Christian, meets an evil fiend named Apollyon. Napoleon reminds Christian of all of the ways that he has failed on his journey to the celestial city, to heaven. And Christian responds to Apollyon in the way that we should all respond to accusations like this. Christian says, all this is true and much more which thou hast left out. But the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. You see, that's what makes the cure so effective. The fear of man melts under the glorious light of the fear of God. Because he who knows you best loves you most. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And God keeps track of every one of them. And if God keeps track of common birds with perfect accuracy, he's going to keep track of you because you are of more value than sparrows and Jesus says even the very hairs on your head are all numbered a task which some of us make easier on him than others he who knows you best loves you most so so what is there to fear Pastor Matt read it earlier. If God is for us, who can be against us? If your God saw your faults and your failures and your wickedness and your sin, if this God knew the true depth of your depravity, and if God hears your thoughts and still put his son on the cross to make you his own, then why would you care about being exposed to me or to her or to him or to anyone? Church, listen. The Lord knew what he was getting when he bought you with his blood. He knew what he was getting. You heard this last weekend. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The Lord knew what he was getting when he bought you with his blood. He knew you and he wanted you. He who knows you best loves you most. And so the only thing you need to fear is being fake. Fear God. No man. I want to do a quick timeout here for a second. Some of you may be struggling. I mean, after all, I am saying that you should fear God who kills and casts into hell because he's so loving. How can the God of love pour out wrath? If God is so loving, what in the world do we do with hell? That's a good question. And I hope this helps you. You need to understand that it is because God is love that he pours out his wrath. 
God's wrath is an expression of his love. You already know how this works. If someone breaks into your home to harm your children, it is your love for your children which causes you to express wrath against those who seek their harm. And the same is true of God. To a much higher degree, to a perfect degree, It is God's love for that which is most precious, namely his glory, the honor of his son that is expressed against those who seek to devalue it, to trample on it. And the more precious the object being defiled, the greater the wrath is manifested. Which is why, for example, Your anger is greater when you hear of an abuse inflicted upon a child. And so God's love and God's wrath are not incompatible. But his wrath is an expression of his love. So fear God. He sees all of you. He is above you. And he loves you more than any other. And so knowing him and fearing him and feeling his love will drive out all of your other fears And you will become fearless. The boldest witness for Christ. And that's what Jesus says next. Let's look at verse 8 to 12. And I tell you, Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. How does it go in Daniel 11? The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Those who know God's love, those who fear God will be bold and they will speak the word of God with all boldness. And as happens when one kingdom collides with another, there will be conflict. Jesus is being honest with his disciples. He's saying that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hate me, they're going to end up hating you. And notice in verse 11, he says, when you're brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities, when, not if, when you're brought between these people, don't worry. My spirit will be with you. And so they were, and so he was. You should probably know, PBC, that what we have here in America is, well, it's a bit of an anomaly. Throughout the centuries, it always hasn't been this way. Many places in the world, it's not this way. Most Christians in Christian history have not enjoyed the same ease and freedoms of religion that we have here in America. We give thanks to God for that, but we cannot trust in it. 
We thank God for religious freedom. We dare not depend upon it. Because that flag that stands for our freedom can just as easily be turned against us. And every Christian must pledge their allegiance to the Lamb of God, and that allegiance is above all other allegiances. And sometimes this allegiance will put us into conflict with other allegiances. So every Christian must acknowledge Christ before men in their life, in their workplace, in their church, and sometimes, if the Lord wills, before governments, rulers, and authorities. And here you see one of the great dangers of the fear of man. Fear of man may lead to compromise when acknowledgement is required. And so the Lord promises that if you acknowledge him before men, he will acknowledge you before the angels of God on the last day. But if we deny him before men, you'll be denied before the angels of God on the last day. And then we come to verse 10 which is one of the more difficult verses in the Gospel of Luke. What does Jesus mean that speaking a word against him can be forgiven, but blaspheming the Holy Spirit will not be? To understand what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is, we have to sort of take a step back from this passage, look at the context of this passage, Look at the wider New Testament teaching about the role and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then what we do, here's what we're going to find. The ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, is to convict of sin and to draw sinners to repent, to draw sinners to Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus. He shines a light on God the Son. And draws people through conviction to find forgiveness through Jesus. The, uh, the Holy Spirit exists to make Jesus central. And so blasphemy against the Holy Spirit would then be a consistent rejection of the Spirit's work. Of a conviction of sin and drawing to Christ. That would lead to a heart that is so hardened against God that even it would even attribute the works of God to Satan himself. I'm going to say that again. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a consistent rejection of the work of the Spirit to point to Christ, to convict of sin. That would then lead to a heart that's so hardened against God that it would see the works of God and attribute them to Satan, which is what we saw in chapter 11 with the Pharisees. Sometimes people come to me worried that they may have committed the unpardonable sin by blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you are afraid that you have committed the unpardonable sin, you have not committed the unpardonable sin. The point Jesus is making here is that the fear of God drives out the fear of man. And when you are called to account for your faith, you'll be faithful, you'll be honest. 
And you don't need to be anxious about how to defend yourself. You don't need to worry about what you might say. God, the Holy Spirit, will be with you in that hour, and he will give you what you need to say so that you can live by the truth of who God is and what he has done. And that facing persecution, you can rest in the reality that you are his and he is yours and every hair on your head is numbered and you are more valuable than the sparrows and he's not going to let your life be wasted. And you can fear God and you can be honest in that moment. And when you fear God and you're honest in that moment, you'll be indestructible. Because the one who knows you best loves you most and you get to live in the truth of who he is and who you are in him and you can be free to not have to put your best foot forward that's already been done for you you don't have to pretend to be something you're not God knew what he was getting when he saved you the one who knows you best loves you most so you're free Free from having to prove yourself to anyone. Free from having to hide your faults and blemishes. Free to not be okay all the time. Free to follow Jesus even in the mess and slowness of discipleship. Free to be patient with yourself and patient with others. And to know that it's okay to not have everything together. To not always be composed and collected. You are not God. You see, that's who he is. Always calm and collected and has everything together. That's him. And you probably don't know as much as you think you do anyway. It's okay to be in process. We're all in process. The one who knows you best loves you most. So you're free from having to cut down those who get honored. You're free to embrace struggle. Embrace mess, not turn from it. Submit your mess to God and grow. God, as frustrating as it is, is not beheld to your timeline. Discipleship is slow. Growth is slow. So be patient. The one who knows you best loves you most. You're free to give grace to sinners. Free to be patient with your brother and your sister, with your church family. Free to love others without strings. Free to give without the fear of being used. Free to love that unlovable person at work. Free to disciple the unruly and the difficult. The one who knows you best loves you most. And that means you're free to go wherever he sends you. Knowing that he's got you. 
free to go to the unreached, filled with the confidence that you belong to Christ, free to face whatever dangers because you belong to Christ, free to live your faith out loud because you belong to Christ, free to say, I don't know, because you belong to Christ, free to live in the tension of who you want to be, but not who you are, because you belong to Christ. Free to rest without having to prove yourself and hide your faults. Christian, you belong to Christ and you are free. The one who knows you best loves you most. So fear him. Fear no other. And live free. Let's pray. Father God of all grace and comfort, we come to you through Jesus Christ your sinless son, our perfect savior. Lord, will you look upon him and show favor to us, your people. Father, we confess that we've worn the mask of the Pharisee. We've carefully manicured ourselves to appear better than we are. We've lied about who we are. We've been prideful and self-righteous. Lord, we've been cowards. Please forgive us. And Father, please look again upon your son, Jesus. He feared no man. He never lied. And since we have been united to him through, you, through faith, wrapped in the very robes of his righteousness, take what is of him and declare it to us. Father, we give you thanks for your mercy. Make us, shape us, conform us into the image of Christ. Make us humble. Make us honest. Make us a people free from the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Give us faith to entrust ourselves to you and to you alone. And make us the boldest and loudest witnesses for Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. Amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. At the end of our services, we go to the Lord looking for an assurance of pardon. After we have prayed a prayer of confession, we trust that the Lord has heard our prayers. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, let me assure you of this pardon. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait 